is in a critical condition after he was cut from his car following a two-vehicle collision in Milton on Sunday. The A477 has now reopened after it was closed for several hours while emergency services dealt with the incident involving a taxi and an ambulance car which was responding to an emergency. The taxi driver is reported to be in a critical condition and his passengers, two adults and two teenagers, were taken to hospital with serious injuries. The ambulance did not have any patients on board and its driver suffered slight injuries according to the police. A £25 million Glanguilly Hospital maternity unit revamp is set to start. How will that health board scheme to improve maternity services in Carmarthenshire will begin next month, it has been confirmed. The cash for obstetric and neonatal facilities at Glanguilly Hospital was announced in April. The revamp unit will include more birthing rooms, a high dependency theatre and a bereavement centre. Howaldar University Health Board said the work is due to be completed by 2020. Fishing equipment worth over £1,000 has been stolen from a property in Letterston. This includes a Shimano fishing reel, a Blue Yonder multiplier, a Daywa reel, a Corga rig box, three Delkim fishing bite alarms, a tracker bag and stove. Anybody with any information regarding these items should contact PC 1177 Shiffy on 101. A mum who lost her teenage son to bone cancer is seeking help with her fundraising to help the fight against the disease. Daniel Bridal of Saundersfoot was only 18 when he died in 2014. Since then, his mother Caroline has been a dedicated fundraiser for the Bone Cancer Research Trust, as well as other cancer charities, including Latch. Recently, the Daniel Bride Trust Fund has been set up, which will see all money raised going to research into osteosarcoma, the type of bone cancer which Daniel had, and which is most common in teenagers and young adults. The Trust Fund recently received £1,900 from a garden party and its next major fundraiser will be a prize bingo night in what would have been Daniel's 23rd birthday. This will take place at the RAOB Club Kilgetty on Friday, September 28th at 7.30pm. Caroline works part-time in Tesco in Saundersfoot where a life-size cardboard figure of Daniel encourages customers to donate to his Trust Fund. Preparations are well underway for the 20th Narbuth Food Festival, which attracts many to the town for its celebration of local food, drink and music. Celebrity chefs will be cooking delicacies from the wild, vegan dishes and offering fermentation classes. And the foodie fun takes place in a large marquee on the town moor this Saturday and Sunday, starting from 10am and entry from £3. That's the latest. You're up to date on Pure West Radio. For Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, see the action live from our studios in Haverford West at purewestradio.com and on our Facebook page, Pure West Radio. And welcome back to part two, part deux of the West Files. I've just been outside to check on Storm Helen, Helena, Helen, Helene. Um, and it is getting proper. I just saw a chip a chip wrapper going um, down St Mary Street, so it must be getting quite blowy out there. Our guest is James Hedley Phillips, uh, master mariner, captain, author, maritime researcher, 
um, drinker of thousand pound bottles of French Bordeaux and uh, author of a fantastic book uh, which is available in all the local bookshops called Pembrokeshire Trilogy dead easy to spot, bright yellow cover bright red writing and a clipper ship not a pirate ship on the front cover well worth a read uh, but first we have, before we talk to uh, James we have to do it's episode 18 of Ye Teller of Curious Tales a gentleman who's going to have to work very hard to uh, compete with tonight's guest in the telling of Curious Tales. Tonight, I, the teller of Curious Tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories. True stories, stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. Have you ever eaten a Mike apple? It's a pale yellow apple with an excellent flavour. But somewhere in the pulp of every Mike apple you will find a small red speck, exactly like the tinge of fresh blood. There's a strange story behind this fruit, and this is it. It's named after a farmer, Micah Rood, who lived outside of Norwich, Connecticut, early in the 18th century. Micah was known as a hard-working, industrious young man. Suddenly, his habits changed. He grew idle, quarrelsome, intemperate. No longer was his farm the showplace of the community. He neglected his cattle. He shunned his neighbours. Some thought he was bewitched. Others spoke of insanity. All this took place during the winter of 1727. The following spring, when the orchard burst into bloom, a strange phenomena took place. All of Rood's apple trees were covered with pink and white blossoms as usual. All except one. And its flowers were blood red. And the marvel didn't end there. The tree that bore the red blossoms was the only one in the orchard that wasn't covered with ruddy red-cheeked apples. Its fruit was waxen yellow. When the apples from this tree fell to the ground, each apple, without exception, was found to have within a well-defined bright red globule, called by those who saw it a drop of blood. This strange occurrence soon had the whole community buzzing with gossip, and suspicion was brought to a head when someone remembered that a peddler had passed through Norwich about a year before. He had spent the night at Micaroods, and no one had seen him since. Someone suggested that perhaps the young farmer had murdered him for his money, and then buried the body under the apple tree. The talk grew, until one afternoon a mob gathered, and armed with picks and shovels, swarmed out to Rood's farm. Micah met them at the entrance to his property, and refused them admittance, 
but he was soon subdued, and the digging commenced. The men dug for almost an hour, and then the first grisly discovery was made. A foot, still encased in a rotting shoe, came into view. Then an arm, the torso, and the head. Soon a whole human skeleton lay stretched on the ground, grinning up at the horrified farmers. Mikarud's crime had been discovered. They set out for Mika's house to drag him back to the village and to justice. They found a raving, tearing maniac. Mika was hopelessly insane. His mind had given way under the pressure of his conscience. He died within a few months. The fruit from this odd tree was known for many years as the Mika apple, until time shortened it to what it is today, the Mike Apple. The gong strikes. My time is up. The teller of curious tales has closed his book. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. Until then, sleep tight. <laughs> you do like that giggle. I love that giggle. I'm sorry, I do. Sorry. That's fair enough. It's whatever, whatever floats your boat, which seems appropriate given tonight's subject is shipwrecks. And yes, I'm and uh, our very special, special guest here in the studio is James Hedley Phillips, author and maritime researcher and diver. James, just to return back to. Um, more difficult questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which has been your favourite shipwreck? <laughs> I'm talking locally. Um, Pembrokeshire shipwrecks. <sighs> if there's one, you know, the most memorable, the one that you feel most connected to, in a way. Uh, Vendom sunk eighteen eighty four. Uh, up by Strumble Head. Um, the, the reason for that is a few things. One, the research was done, months of research. And then I went diving with a, another diver who I talked in to search for the wreck. <laughs> and um, uh, this is true story now. Uh, uh, people sometimes think I do spin yarns. Well, I do spin yarns, but now this is a true story. We arrived at the site and I said, I worked out exactly where it is. It's somewhere underneath us and I said I'm going to pop over the side go down to the bottom it's about 30 meters about 100 foot see what the vis is like come back up and then we're going to sledge it which means the, the the boat tows you along on a sledge and the idea is you use no air and you just tow it around and you find the wreck that way so as I was kitting up he said I'll come down with you I said uh, Bruce I'm only going to be a minute no I'll come down with you we'll do a bounce dive so we kitted up went over the side we got down to the bottom and the visibility was about oh, 30 foot 10 meters and there was big boulders down there i mean boulders the size of a caravan and i give him the signal let's go back up and he give me the signal let's look around for one minute so of course imagine i'm protesting now as so off he goes i'm following behind muttering away saying this is a waste of time we could be searching for the wreck and there's two big boulders the size of a caravans we went between the boulders as we came out the other side, there was a wreck. Time, three minutes. 
<laughs> from leaving the surface to finding the wreck. And take my word, it doesn't normally happen like that. And as we went up, I, uh, we were on the wreck. Uh, I had uh, uh, there was a little strong box there full of money. And there was a, a, the bell of the wreck, so we knew it was the Vendome, built in 1882. And uh, that was... The, and then I did the research, more research on the wreck. And uh, it came up so much. It was so interesting. I put it in the book. I discovered the people were on it. There was a gentleman from Fishguard. And he'd been on about a f- three or four shipwrecks, this guy. You know, he's one person you wouldn't want on your board because no, every ship sinks <laughs> under him. Check, check and, the list. We've got Mr. Jinx on board. Yeah, there's always absolutely, one. Absolutely um, enthralling. And then Bruce, fair dues to him. Bruce lives in Mathry. He went and did some research. What we, he found out was the captain of the ship was from St. David's, I I couldn't believe it. And he went to this house, and he was uh, I don't know how he got to the house, but somehow through I think it was through the the the, the registry. Um, the, the, anyway, he he got to this house. He knocks the door. He says, "I'm doing some research," and she was the great great granddaughter of Captain Davis from St David's. What is the and then Tom Bennett got involved. Now, he, Tom Bennett is another shipwreck researcher. And he got involved. In the end, we had so much information on this. It's absolutely... In the end, it was... Um, it, I put it in the book. There was so much information on a shipwreck. And it ended up everybody was from St. David's or Fishguard. <laughs> everybody knew everyone else. Did, yeah. you, did you return the strong box to the family? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was only full of coins. <laughs> Yeah, who wants well, a few yeah, ones? Yeah, yeah, but the trouble is they were pennies and apennies and one yeah. shilling. <laughs> no doubloons, no pieces of no, 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 I just sort of coming back to not treasure, but this idea of um, the romance of the shipwrecks. The after the Armada um, had sailed right round Britain and then round Ireland, there are stories of one or two of them approaching the Pembrokeshire coast. Have, have, you've, have you found, or have the researchers found any of this evidence of the Armada connection uh, to Pembrokeshire? Uh, there's no... Uh, sorry, Steve, I'm going to disappoint Don't. you. No! No, there's no story. There's no uh, wrecks. There's no evidence. I'll use that word in case somebody comes up with evidence. At the moment, there's no evidence of any of the Armada because they were sailing around the west side of Ireland. That's mm. one thing the Armada wouldn't want to do is to be caught in... Scotland, England, or Wales. Now, Ireland was a bit more sympathetic to the uh, Spanish cause because they were more Catholic, but not um, uh, there was not that much sympathy with them. And no, I'm sorry, if you were sailing around, you didn't, you wouldn't come near this place. <laughs> no, but, I mean there uh, is there's just the occasional story of families who have you know an old chest which they call mm-hmm. the Armada chest, yeah. um, dotted around the Welsh coast, and they've always maintained the story that the it, it came from a Spanish Armada ship. The, one of the stories uh, I'll tell you this one is about in the First World War and the Second World War. Now you must know a pub somewhere in West Wales where the captain of a U-boat of the enemy, the First World War and the Second World War, would go into the local pub and buy a pint. And now I've heard this from oh somebody was <laughs> yeah, in a, in a dinner in yeah. Hamburg and the chap next to him knew uh, the White Sands because they used to come in there and fill up with water. Not White Sands, but other places. Well, the, in the First World War, let's put that First World War first of all, the hatred of the British people for the slaughter that went on the, on the Somme and all that, they would not have been nice to a U-boat. And don't forget, when a U-boat was captured, 
most of the uh, the, the manor, uh, the, the U-boat men were shot because uh, the, it, it was not a clean war. And I've heard the stories, oh, the German U-boat commander used to come in here, he would have been lynched. And can you imagine being back at head office of the U-boat command? The captain had left the U-boat on a, somewhere uh, near shore, you know, it just wouldn't leave no, the vessel. It, it, right. Their stories, but there we are. Steve. And the other, I mean, the other thing about Pembrokeshire is it was one of the key um, places for the for the uh, U-boat war. Mm. Uh, we had the Sunderland flying boats yes. uh, based at uh, Pembroke Dock. Most of the airfields were associated in one way or another with yes. maritime patrol of the western yeah. the western approaches. So, um, but. It is true, because I've seen photographs that demonstrate it to be a fact, that the U-boats did periodically haul up on the Irish coast for resupplying. Uh, yes. Now, Ireland was a different uh, kettle of fish, but not around Wales, because um, there was too many people involved in the fight against them, and in the war had become personal. It wasn't... Um, um, it wasn't, um, the, if I can put a, fr I don't know what a friendly war is, but uh, it was not. Uh, so, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> what, what about ordnance? Do you ever encounter ordnance um, on the wrecks at you? Dive? How do you mean? Shells, cannons, bullets, bombs. Um, no, that, that, that type of thing is. Um, because there are also lots of uh, stories about the sort of post the two wars. Um, all of these spare shells, uh, particularly off the uh, Scottish coast, for, uh, mustard gas shells just being tipped into the, the North Channel, into deep tr uh, deep sea trenches. Do we have anything like that in Pembrokeshire that we ought to worry about? Uh, yes. Um, after the First World War and the Second World War, they would, there was tons and tons of ammunition left over, and they were dumping it. The ships would go out, out of Milford Haven, and there's an area which was a dumping ground. Well, you can imagine some days they're going out, and uh, oh well, it's a bit rough today. We'll go back and we'll just dump it anywhere. There's nobody to see you dumping it. Um, but on the the shells, we do find them, especially with the First World War, the Second World War shipwrecks, and they are still very dangerous. Um, the the cordite. We were working a wreck on the North Bishops, and there was a couple of shells. Uh, on there, she was a First World War wreck, and we were salvaging the cargo. And uh, some of the cordite, I brought up a couple of shells, but I pushed the cordite over when we emptied it out. But cordite, think of a straw, it was like that, the cordite is. And it was left on the deck, and this was in June. And so you can imagine when the sun came up, it was boiling, and it was on a metal deck. And with that, about uh, 12 o'clock, the cordite just fizzed. It didn't explode because it wasn't in a con uh, contained situation. It was in the open air and it just fizzed. It just went off by itself. Blinking neck, I didn't have frightened the living daylights of me. Suddenly we started treating it with a bit more respect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, we have these little laughs now and again. <laughs> and saying about that, what or have you had the most scariest, the one that's, has there been a shipwreck that's worried you? when you've gone down to it and you've thought, oh, hang on, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Uh, <laughs> um, have you got one that sort of sticks out and you think, well, I should never have done that one? <laughs> Ronnie, that's happened a few times. <laughs> one of the worst experiences was in Ramsey Sound, there's a shipwreck called the Counter Espremont. We went searching for that. And fair dues, it took about three weeks or two weeks to find it. But it's upside down. And we managed to make a hole in it. And I would go then through this hole which is just big enough for the person to go through so what I would do is take my cylinder off tuck my demand valve other divers will know what I mean I tuck the demand valve inside it drop it through the hole and then I'd swim in after it 
go down and put the gear on inside the wreck. Um, I was a lot fitter in them days. And uh, we was, I was inside the wreck. Um, so one day we were looking for, um, we had found some spoons, silver spoons. So we were going to search that area. Now, imagine you had to go inside the wreck um, and um, <laughs> go and search in an area for some spoons. They were silver spoons. And the hole had been made a bit bigger. So you could actually go through it now with your cylinder on. I went in. And when I was inside the wreck, it was beautiful in there. The sun was shining up above, so we had plenty of light in there. And there's little holes, and it was like an abbey or a, or a cathedral. The light was coming through in, 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 uh, in light beams, if I could put it like that. And with that, an almighty bang. I thought it was, if somebody said it was a grenade going off, it sounded like a grenade. And it was my first stage of my demand valve. It had blown up. I was inside the wreck. The, the, the air was gushing out. Um, and I thought, oh, this is a right pickle I'm in. So I had to come up through the hole, keep control, not to panic. And then I came up again. I couldn't come up quickly. I had to come up very slowly not to get decompression problems. With, you know, that's some of the medical problems with diving and coming up too quick. And I came to the surface and I had all this air gushing out. The boat came alongside saying, what the happened and I and I said something went bang behind my head and it was the first stage of a demand valve it had actually exploded but I just managed to get sips of air through now and again so I got into the boat we changed the equipment over I put on another cylinder borrowed one of the boys demand valves jumped back in and got on with a dive <laughs> that's <laughs> nothing the, phases you nothing ah well yeah. if we're talking about fearsome there's another story in the book the cave of doom oh. that sounds like an episode of uh, game of thrones <laughs> or yes. lord of the rings yes. Yes. cave of doom i had therapy for years after that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 now a few have said is that a true story and i honestly it's a true story i went diving and we were searching the, it's on the, the basis if you just couldn't make this up yeah, <laughs> yeah. i couldn't and my job was to go down on the port side of the wreck um, and look for portals that might have dropped out. Every day, nobody dived doing nothing. You had a job to do. And I give you a job. But once that job was done, you could go and do something else you wanted to do. And as I was going down the side of the boat, the ship was coming to about 30, 35 metres. And there was a cave on the left, about four or five yards away. I swam up to this cave, looked in there, and then I went in. It was big enough to swim in. You know, it was about six foot high. And as I swam in, I could see a telegraph pole almost straight perpendicular in front of me. I, I thought it was a telegraph pole. And I switched my torch on and I went closer to it. And I was looking at the floor, looking at this telegraph pole, looking at the floor and I was going in and in. And I was about a foot from this telegraph pole. I put it on, the torch really on it now, and I really looked at it. And it didn't have the colours of a telegraph pole. It was like a greenish, bluish colour. I can't describe it. And there was a fin all the way down. Um, and I thought to myself, this isn't a telegraph pole. <laughs> and I slowly moved the torch going up. I was looking at it. And I'm talking about now the size of a telegraph pole. I was going up and up and up. And at the, air, at the top, I could see a dirty, great big head. It was the biggest conger I've ever seen. And this is no lie. It was huge. Is He was it, it, it didn't move. I, I, good job I didn't touch it. He might have got a bit offended. And I absolutely had to control panic because I wanted to panic and scream. And I backed out to the cave um, looking non-aggressive. <laughs> but this <laughs> was the biggest conger I've yes. ever seen. And we called the cave then the Cave of Doom. 
I'm not surprised. Time for some music, I think. Um, we can't compete with that. But <laughs> the artist is Drake, so there's a tenuous <coughs> maritime link there for anybody who understands. Yes, definitely, yeah? yes. It's not nothing to do with ducks. No, 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 no. Definitely. Trap, trap, money, penny. Got me in my feelings. Gotta be real with you. Yeah. Kiki, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me Cause I want you, and I need you And I'm down for you always KB, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me Cause I want you, and I need you And I'm down for you always But the new me is really still the real me I swear you gotta feel me before they try and kill me They gotta make some choices, they running out of options Cause I've been going off and they don't know when to stop And then when you get Top and I see that you've been learning And when you get to shopping, you spend it like you earned it And when you popped off on your ex, he deserved it I thought you were the one from the jump that confirmed it Trap money, Benny I buy you champagne, but you love some Henny From the block like you Jenny I know you special, girl, cause I know too many Risha, do you love me? Are you riding? Say you never ever leave from beside me Cause I want you and I need you Cause I want you and I need you and I'm down for you always And I'm down for you always And I'm down for you down down for you down for you always Now let me see you Back to our guest. You were asking uh, James a question. I'm sorry, I just had to. If, if you're a fan of Drake, get a sorry. life. Yes. <laughs> get a life. Yes. Sell your record collection. Yes. Go listen to something. Go else. go listen to anything. Yeah. You know, just That's that. awful. Bloody <sighs> row. Whose idea was that? No oh, myriad. No idea. Yes. Is it gone now? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had a scary one, and we've had the most remembering one. And do you remember all? shipwreck dives that you've done no i've done how it, many have you done i've done good question <laughs> <laughs> you've been doing your research ah. i've done over three thousand dives but i have been diving since 1967 or 66 something like that so, so when did you get serious about doing the, the the shipwreck diving itself ah when i started diving I, I i found a few wrecks and then i went into teaching and i went and worked abroad um sri lanka 
uh, uh, sorry, North Carolina, and I was an uh, assistant What's school. Left of it? Yes. <laughs> so th- no wrecks there, but I did find a couple <laughs> of wrecks. There might be now. <laughs> uh, and I did. Um, uh, I was working out there as an assistant scuba instructor at the, the, the most expensive holiday for rich young gentlemen I've ever been to. They had water skiing, scuba diving, anything. Everything was expensive. It was the most expensive camp, summer camp. I worked there as an assistant and then after a month I became the chief scuba instructor and then the following year uh, 70, I think it was, 73, I was working in Greece as a chief scuba instructor and then I enjoyed it but it wasn't what I wanted to do and so when I came back I then went into really searching for wrecks. That's what I wanted to do. Instructing was great fun. Uh, I enjoyed it in Greece, uh, in Corfu. I worked in Corfu for uh, the summer season, Uh, but it was not what I wanted to do. And I decided when I get back uh, from this lifestyle, I'm gonna go and work on searching and doing the research. So when I came back, I really got into it in about 75. And after that, uh, I was finding a couple of wrecks a year. Uh, um, it sounds easy but you've got to put the time in and you've got to put the research in so have you got a a big team behind you then when you go diving with the shipwrecks (laughs) slight problem there we're all getting older (laughs) and uh, most of them have uh, packed in diving the ones I could rely on uh, you could give them a job to do and they just said okay (laughs) sometimes you had a diver with you say can you go down and do this and then they were near panic situation like it was you know going down look it's only 45 meters what's the problem (laughs) Um, so I found that I worked with different crews a lot the ones I did work with who I relied on in the end uh, these divers you know uh, they were so good you you give them half a dozen jobs too and you knew they would do them and then um, the trouble is they all got older (laughs) (laughs) in addition to obviously seeking the cutlery and the crockery (laughs) and the bottles and the crates and the red wine is there an element of archaeology marine archaeology being carried out on the wrecks are you are you drawing plans and surveying or trying to figure out why the ship founded or i'm thinking particularly with the titanic i I see they're they're looking at you know how did it end up at the bottom yeah the the research is done on the ship um so you know how it sunk or you uh, you know where it is or you might not have the story because nobody survived it's only when you get survivors that you can get the story but i'm not into uh, surveying once i find a wreck I then, if somebody else wants to survey it, they can do it. I'm not interested in that. I find it's like chasing the fox. You go hunting the fox. It's not the catching the fox. It's the hunt. And once you catch a fox, you can't do anything with it. You can't eat it because they taste awful, I understand. Um, I just enjoy the thrill of trying to find the wreck. And anybody wants to do anything with it, I quite happily give them the, where the wreck is. So somebody says, oh, you, I heard you found a, a clipper or a, a sunk in 1880. Yeah, it's, and I'll give them where it is you know if they want to survey it but no I've never been once I found it I wanted to go and chase the next one the next fox or I should say the wreck (laughs) (laughs) once you've actually found a wreck and you've identified the vessel by bell or by other means is there an authority that you have to notify so that it's like a a master map Uh, no the the, the, it's if somebody goes with a metal detector they don't actually tell the people where they're gone 
but until they find something, then they have to inform the the um, uh, the receiver or whoever deals with this uh, finding art, you know, like a coin or something. Like that. A shipwreck is the same. If you find a shipwreck, you don't have to tell anything. But once you lift something off it, then you have to for- inform right. the receiver of wrecks. So the law, you know, you find a wreck and there might be nothing on it. Give an example. I found the Pilgrim, uh, which is a small sloop. And it was only carrying limestone. It was so there's a big pile of limestone there. There's nothing of the wreck there. There's no, nothing, and so you know we just moved on. With with um, finding the wrecks and and recording the positions, you are though in effect completing the story, aren't you? You you you've got the story of the sinking or not because nobody survived, but you know the final installment of people's lives of what happened to that vessel and some vessels were were quite significant weren't they um one in particular ended up in dale that was connected to the ghost ship the mary celeste ah yes that was oh craig what was the name of that gracia say say it again de gracia that sounds like it (laughs) yeah I came on to that by accident. She she was actually got off the beach, so um, she wasn't actually wrecked, but she was washed up. If you come into, as anybody knows, Dale, if you're looking from the sea towards Dale, you've got the Griffin on the left, and you've got some cottages on the right. Uh, she was washed up by where the cottages were, and they salvaged the wreck, and she was refloated. Um, but I uh, I just got interested in it because it's part of the Mary Celeste. It's part of a story of a, a ship where the crew... And, uh, you know, there was nobody aboard the ship. And um, there's a, But there was a number of ships that always found with no crews on. Uh, so this wasn't uh, a rare story. But this was interesting because it was all part of connected with the Mary Celeste and that uh, the ship that found it, and she was washed up. Uh, she'd broken her moorings. And she was washed up on the beach at Dale. And they refloated it. But there was a photograph of it. And that was so unique about it. Fascinating stuff, and our guest tonight is. Um, for those of you who may have tuned in late, um, where, where have you been? You? Yeah, where yeah. Have you been? we've been here for an hour and a half now. Yes, um, and we're talking to James Headley Phillips, who's the writer, um, publisher of uh, Pembrokeshire Trilogy Volume One: Tales of the Sea, available locally in uh, the bookshops. And eagerly awaiting Volume Two. I am. <laughs> uh, but you've gone further than just shipwrecks and smugglers, and uh, there's a great chapter in here, which is one of my favourite chapters: tsunamis, earthquakes, and strange weather. <laughs> and you, 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 you don't realise it. We've we just had Hurricane Florence in uh, North Carolina. We're having Storm Helene tonight. And Pembrokeshire has had some really bizarre and extreme weather down the centuries. Oh, you've, you've, you've recorded some of them in the book, like the weird tide um, that, that down at Milford Haven. But apparently this has happened as, as recently as the 1990s. Yeah, a couple of uh, people I was, I was doing research and I was down on a beach looking for... Um, uh, 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 from um, a tsunami came up the uh, Clairdai. I'm talking about about a 20-foot wave. Um, and I was looking for evidence of it. Um, and I started speaking to this chap and I was telling him about uh, strange things that where the tide came in and started going out and then came back in. And he said it, it had happened and he was telling me the stories. I do believe him. Um, but what I found was at uh, the Dale... 
uh, as you're on the sh- on the seaside, if you're at sea and looked at Dale, on the right hand side, uh, there's uh, farmland. And when I went over to the farmland, the the sea had washed away some of the earth, and uh, about a foot or two foot under the from the topsoil, um, you could see a strata of coal and bits of rock. Now they're not there by the farmer. They were left over from a tsunami, which came in and lifted the seabed and rocks and stones and piled them on there. And of course, the earth has gone on top of them. But when I was going up the Cleddai, I was looking for uh, tree stumps going back 5,000 years ago. And um, I found two tree stumps, but they, they, they were underwater at, when the tide came in. And that meant if you went 5,000 years ago, they would have been quite above. They never would have got wet because salt water actually kills the tree. Give an example. If you look up the Cleddai on the right hand side past the bridge, there's all their woods. Mm -hmm. Now, they're all oak and ash and all that type of thing, but they're all stunted in growth. They're all 200 years old or even longer. But because of the salt coming up the estuary, it stunts their growth. And... um, so that we were just working on that, all to do in the Neolithic sites. And it just one thing led to another. Oh, and by the way, I found two shipwrecks up in Blinking Cleda, you know. I can't believe it. <laughs> two Blinking... How do I do I was standing there and go, how do I do it? How do I find a Blinking shipwreck down here? Um, but we were looking and then suddenly we were finding pots, um, uh, jars and little bits and items like that. But um, it's... Uh, it's so much history in Pembrokeshire. You scratch the earth anywhere and there's something underneath. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's another account here of the Christmas earthquakes um, of 1833. Um, felt right across the county from Flandovery out as far as Swansea. In fact, I was in... Um, we, we had a big earthquake earlier this year, uh, centred on Bridge End, mm. and we were actually in Salm Park. Uh, when it happened in... Everybody paused and thought, that was a big lorry that just went past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only coming back listening to the radio, we realised we just had quite a, a large earthquake. There's the Dale Water Spout, there's another earthquake in October of 1863. And this is the most intriguing of all, which is this uh, 1868 account that you've recorded in the book. An earthquake felt on every part of the globe. Yes, that was. Um, uh, it's well documented that because in 10B, especially 10B, uh, they seem to record it quite well. Is that the one where no animals, from my memory now? Yeah, no, no animals. Normally, they always say before an earthquake, the dogs and cats and cows all That's act strangely. Right, yeah. But this one came along. The earthquake was so strong that uh, of dinner plates were falling off the inside the house, off the Welsh dressers, and people were running out of the houses. That's how bad it was. But not one cat the, or, or dog or even the cows jumping in the field. Normally, they're supposed to let you know there's going to be earthquake, but it, it, it was mentioned that uh, there was no warning from any of the animals. They get to be felt right around the planet. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. They, they run out to the, when the earthquake came and everything shook, they all run out to the pubs in Tenby. And Fedus, once it stopped, they all run back in. Best <laughs> <laughs> thing to do, really. Well, if, you know, if the world's going to end. It's the best place to end it. All right, well, it's time for some music. I found a love. For me Darling, just dive right in Follow my lead I found a girl Beautiful and sweet 
it by well, itself you can again. Stop it. Yes. Stop it. Even right though it's got that supposed to be. And there. Gone. Yes. Right. Sorry about that. Yes. We'll have to report that one. Yes. Anyway. Um, the Gremlins again. Pembrokeshire Trilogy, Volume 1, <coughs> Tales of the Sea, Shipwrecks, Pirates. Body Snatchers. Body Snatchers, Weird Weather, Earthquakes. It's all in this book. It's and awesome. Buy it. Yes, I will. Jim, what of the future? What are you working on now? Because you said you were a maverick and you're, <laughs> you're uh, working on yet more projects. Um uh, the thing that's really, uh, apart from a couple of shipwrecks I've done the research on, must go and look for them one day, uh, is the, the Neolithic stuff. Um, you know, cromlechs or tombs, if you want to like it. Like Stonehenge, <laughs> similar to Stonehenge. We've got one not very far from Hill Mountain. Yes, yes, they're all over the place in Pembrokeshire. But Pembrokeshire is unique where they're all along the coastline. And um, that's what I, I believe to search for. If I can find one, it hasn't been touched, vandalised or anything for about seven or 8,000 years. And that's the project at the moment. Um, we're going through exciting times and uh, I think a lot more is going to come out in the future, especially with um, some new shipwrecks that uh, I've been working on the research of them and uh, theoretically I've worked out where they where they should be. I use the word should be. <laughs> <laughs> Are they usually where they should be? Or do I was the tide just going to say drag them around a bit? No. Uh, uh, sometimes it's a bit of a guesswork, a bit of a gut feeling. Um, uh, it says it sunk and hit this rock and uh, it, it ends up it, did, it didn't sink there it floated around for a couple of days it, you get that all the time the, the well didn't that happen with that oil tanker that bounced from side to side mm. across the haven over the course of mm. about 10 days yeah. first it was one side then it, it, then it was the other. It, didn't it hit Mill Bay first and then go across it the, hit somewhere and then went across it hit then, at Mill yeah. Bay didn't it and then it went across to the other side and then it came back again that oil tanker Oh, I don't remember that. Um, what was it called? In, in um, past. In 1937, there was a shipwreck right in front of White Sands. Now, if you stood on White Sands by St David's and looked out towards uh, the North Bishops, halfway there, there's a rock shows at low water. Well, this ship, the Hematite, goes up, hits it, and the crew abandoned ship, but it was a fog at the time. So they rowed east, and they came on White Sands Beach. And I did the research... And when the, the fog lifted, of course, the ship was gone, so it had sunk. So I did the research, and off we went. I told the team, look, I guarantee this. We'll find this within 10 minutes. A month later, we still couldn't find it. <laughs> the hematite, 1937. Well, I can tell you what happened to it. She didn't sink. She drifted all the way around, and about two miles in front of, uh, south of Porthgleis Harbour, that's where she sunk, in the middle, in St. Bride's Bay. And the reason that we happen to dive the one in St. Bride's Bay is um, it is marked on a chart as a shipwreck, but nobody knew the name of it. So we went down, looked at it, and that's where I had the dinner plates up from this wreck. And, of course, the dinner plates had the ship's motif, so we knew it was uh, the, the, Holden, uh, the um, William Robinson line. And uh, so the only ship that sunk from the William Robinson line around Pembrokeshire is the Hematite. <laughs> and... Um, so uh, they don't sink where they're supposed to. It really messes up your calculations. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight. I'm hoping that we can entice you back on a future show uh, because there are yet more stories, I think, oh, still yes, to be told. definitely. Um, so, um, James Headley Phillips, author, 
maritime researcher and fantastic storyteller. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us on The West Files. You're welcome. And we'll have a little bit of music. Let's see if we'll do that Panic at the Disco stuff, see if it wants to do it now, because the oh, computer didn't do it before. Children growing, women producing, men go working, some do steal. Everyone's got to make a living. L-O-X, yeah. J-Lo, yeah. From a low to a lot this year Everybody mad at the rocks that I wear I know where I'm going and I know where I'm from You hear locks in the air Yeah, we at the airport out D-block from the block where everybody air forced out With a new white tee, you fresh Nothing phony with us Make the money, get the mansion, bring the homies with us Anyway, um, yeah, we're season two finale. I know. So if you're listening and wondering where we are next week, the week after, for the next three weeks, we're not here. The reason we're not here is because we're working on Halloween and beyond. And it requires some preparation. There are some big events planned for the West Files and the listeners. Because people have been telling us stuff. 
I don't want to give anything away till no, nearer the time. No, you've got to be careful now. People have been asking stuff and telling us stuff. stuff. So we've, we're responding. To stuff. To stuff. <laughs> so you'll just have to get stuffed and wait until... <laughs> wait until I was waiting for one of us yeah, to say that. Wait till Series 3 returns, which is October the 17th. I think. Just do you want to check that? No. Go on, check the date. It's you. Yeah. Um, we can reveal. Uh, should we reveal one? Oh, reveal uh, half of it. Half of it. Well, yeah. Then they'll have to come back and listen. Well, to I was going to say we have a live show on October the twenty ninth, but it's where it's from and what the the live show is about. That's. It won't be from the studios here in the spooky haunted basement of the storm ravished. Yeah. Okay. It'll be somewhere else. But anyway, that's it. So, Series 2 complete for the next three weeks. I think the slot will be filled with something nearly as entertaining and amusing. Give it a listen anyway. It will no doubt be an excellent show because I think you're involved in that. Am I? Oh, good. And Otherwise, I'm going to get lost. Yeah, when we come back, doing. don't be strangers because no. it'll be a hard day's night. Oh. <laughs> See you in a few weeks, folks. Take care, guys and gals and peoples and ghosts. Pardon? And gremlins. Good night. <laughs>
You know you love 